This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. All right. Give it up for these guys. Yes. It is so good to be back with you today. I'm... Oh, well, thank you. I missed you guys. Um... Yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. You know, last week I was having a conversation with a lady out in the foyer, and she said, I had just come out of the washroom, and she said, uh, did you hear my husband in there? And I'm like, ladies, I don't know if you know this or not, but dudes go into the bathroom. We don't socialize. We don't talk. We go in, we do our thing, we leave, right? I know when ladies, y'all got couches and chairs and like to support each other, but not dudes. And, and so I walked out and I was like, you know, I walked out and she said, yeah, you know, did you hear him? He's passing kidney stones. And little did I know that was prophetic that I was going to be going through the same thing in just a week. And so anyway, so I'm just glad to be back with you. Uh, one of the things I will tell you though, is I found out something about myself. Can you hear me? Okay. I got a new mic. All right, cool. Um, that I found out about myself is that when you give me pain meds, you know, different people respond differently. I get kind of goofy. Not kind of goofy, I get a lot goofy. And so when they were rolling me up out of recovery, uh, the lady was talking to me about being back on the floor, and I just thought everybody would be happy to see me, so I started waving at everybody in their rooms. (laughs) And then when we got to the nurse's station, I'm like, I'm back! And then I was having a conversation with her. She's rolling me around the room and around the hallway to get to my room. And, and I think she was talking about frozen food. But I started singing, let it go, let it go, at the top of my lungs, <laughs> being rolled into uh, my room. And then the nurse was telling another nurse on the outside is that he's back in his room, but he's a little goofy right now. And I'm like, I'm not goofy. And she goes, and apparently he hears really well. So uh, so anyway, that was my fun experience on drugs. So yeah, so I will not be taking any more of those. It's uh, my wife made me promise as she was leaving on Saturday. She said, Shane, I want you to promise me that you're not going to send anybody any text and you're not going to comment on anybody's social media post. <laughs> and so I, I think I obeyed. Did I do a good job? Okay. She's supposed to say, well done, you good and faithful servant. But anyway, uh, but it is, it's so great to be back. Here's what I want you to do today. We're going to meet and greet each other, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Okay. The middle section right here, I want you to do this. All right. Just the middle section. Just the middle section. Okay, this section over here, I want you to do just one hand. Okay, this section over here, I want you to do just one hand. All right, now get up and say hi to everybody doing your gestures. All right. Good morning, good morning. All right, all right, you bunch of crazy people. Yes, yes. So I want you to imagine with me that let's say this is group one, group two, and this is group three. And let's say that each group, for some weird reason, wants a leader. 
right? And you choose a leader. So each group has a leader. And all of a sudden, that leader starts saying things like, you know what? We're the right ones. We don't like this. And the ones that are kind of right, but really still missing the mark, are the ones that go like this. But the people who do this, well, they're crazy. (laughs) And then the people in the middle, they're looking at this as normal. And they look on the outside and say, hey, the people that do like this, man, those guys are like, there's something wrong there. And then this side over here, they're, they're psychopaths. So we're not, and all of a sudden, in a fun exercise that we just had, everybody, you could see like division starting to take place, all because we do things a little different. And that's the word that we call tribalism. And so today I'm going to talk to us about tribalism versus love, because again, we're in a series called Unstoppable, and there's two unstoppable forces in our world. God is unstoppable, right? Amen. God is unstoppable. And the church is unstoppable if it chooses to be. And one of the things that stops the effectiveness of churches and groups and people is when we fall into tribalism. I want us to look at this definition here. Tribalism is the organization, culture, and beliefs of a tribe. That doesn't sound too bad. A strong feeling of identity with loyalty to one's tribe or group. Now, that's, that's not too bad, but then we get down, if we're not careful, that it leads to exclusiveness and prejudice. Now, some of us are going to say in the room, and it's okay, it's, it's something we have to own, is that shame by that very definition, that could also describe churches that can describe the way that religion works. And so today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about religion, but not in our Western culture concept idea of religion. I'm going to talk to you about it from the biblical standpoint. Okay, are you with me? So everybody that grew up in church, you know that there was this guy named Paul. And everywhere Paul went, he was starting churches. And all the time, man, he's just raising up people groups and churches, and he's trying to draw people together and all of this kind of stuff. And, and a lot of times, you know, when he talks about religion, he talks about spirituality, we have to understand the context that he's coming from. So the thing that we have to understand is in Western culture, everything is segmented. Okay, how many of you have Chester drawers at home? You know, you got like cabinet, you put your, you know, and we in Western culture tend to see ourselves that way. We have a drawer for being me. We have a drawer for me at work. We have a drawer for me as a husband, me as a father. We tend to live a very segmented style life. The problem with that is, is that's not how Jesus sees us. Have any of you ever seen a hope chest? You know what those are? Those old things, and you open them up, and it's got all these keepsakes in there. There, There's not really a lot of dividers, and it's just a big open chest. That's actually how God sees us, whole and complete. See, when we're talking to God, we can't go, you know what, God? I am the perfect Christian husband at home. 
My wife has no wants, has no needs. She loves me infinitely. She never even gets frustrated with me. <laughs> but don't look in the drawer of me at work because that one's still in progress, right? That's not the way that God sees us. So we can't kind of bargain with him. God sees us wholly, completely, totally. We're one unit. Religion Back in Paul's time, in first century's time, religion was used kind of as a way to keep communities together. It, it was a way of life. It wasn't part of life. It was life. Did, does that make sense? It was life. Like, it influenced politics. It influenced, um, like, which synagogues they went to. It, it influenced how they related to people that were foreigners or people that were not part of their group or their family, and they had this firm belief because remember, whenever, right before the Babylonians came in and took over um, Israel and took them captive, God kept telling them, obey me, do what is right, and you will live in the what? The land. You will live in the land, in the promised land that I've given you, but because they wouldn't do that, God took them what? out of the land. We see that story in the first three chapters of Genesis. God creates a beautiful place. He puts people in it. Says, don't eat the tree. Or not actually the tree, but the fruit, because that could be a lot of fiber, I guess. But anyway, don't, don't eat the fruit of the tree. They do. And what does God do? He removes them from the promised land. And so religion, the way that Paul viewed it, was the very thing that had to happen in order for them to be restored fully and totally back to the land and the presence of God. Do you, do you see how religion takes on a, a much more significance? Okay, all right, thank you. It's, it's really important that we understand that. So when I talk today about spirituality, when I talk about this stuff, I'm not talking about our first century culture where religion has become more personal, where it's become something actually that we use to draw our barriers against people. I want us to think of it as something that benefits the whole community, right? It's something that benefits the whole community. It pulls us all together underneath God, and then he will bless us. And one day I'm looking forward to his coming. Amen? All right, so we're going to look at that today. So I want us to look here at this next slide. I think this is pretty appropriate. Hello, 911. I'd like to report that somebody has a different opinion than me. We see this everywhere, right? Somebody always has a different opinion. And it's, it's tough because we live in kind of a narcissistic culture where we believe that our opinion is the right opinion, right? And if you want to be cool, you better have my opinion, right? All the dudes in the house should be doing this right now. No, don't do that. You'll get slapped and hit or whatever. Anyway, I'll do counseling. Uh, so anyway, let's go on to this next slide. I want us to look at a powerful passage of Scripture. Now, this, this passage in Acts 15 is critically, critically important passage for the church. This, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated passages in all of the New Testament. Peter... And Paul and Barnabas 
have had some odd experiences. Peter was up on top of a roof, and he's hanging out, and God gives him a vision of a bunch of unclean animals. Now, I don't know about you guys, but those are all the animals I like to eat. And he says, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. Those animals are unclean. And Jesus said, hey, don't call what I've called clean unclean. Eat the animals. So he had a nice T-bone. But I'm joking. God was prepping him. Why? Because there was a Gentile that was about to invite him to his house. And for a Jew to walk into a Gentile's house deemed them unclean. And what God was prepping Peter for is, hey, this house you're going to, it's a Gentile's house, but it's not unclean. I'm trying to help you out here. Like, go, talk to them, et cetera, et cetera. Paul and Barnabas, they start telling everybody, anywhere, everywhere in Gentile cities about what's happened with Jesus. And people start converting, and the news reaches back to Jerusalem. And they come back, and they discuss this, and they want to discuss, hey, can anybody that's non-Jewish get in on this Jesus thing? And this is the passage of Scripture that records a lot of that conversation. And thankfully, they decide to let us in. Because if you're not Jewish in here today, that means you might have been excluded. I might have been excluded. And so I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit led and guided them. Amen? So I want to look at this. And, and so this is, you know, Peter spoke. Paul has spoke, Barnabas has spoke, and now James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, is going to speak. He's heard the arguments, and now he's going to render his verdict. And he said this, when they had finished, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this covenant of Gentiles, or conversion of Gentiles, is exactly what was prophes the prophets predicted. As it was written, Afterwards I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. So that the rest of what? Humanity might seek the Lord. See, the thing that Jewish people were struggling with at the time was this idea around tribalism. They had this beautiful concept of religion and what it could do within their community, but they were kind of took it to we were God's chosen people, and God said, yes, you're chosen people. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the nations, and they kind of forgot about that part, and so what James is saying here is really, really important. It's that it's always been the plan to include the Gentiles in. So the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago, and it is so my judgment, is that we should not, what? Make it difficult for the Gentiles who were turning to God. They were trying to figure out a way to say, hey, Gentiles, we know you're coming to Jesus, but you need to look Jewish, and there's part of the law you need to keep. And they were saying, no, we're not going to do that to those guys. We're just not going to do it. Yes, they're Gentile believers, but they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. Are you, are you following me? All right, so some really important factors here that I want to pull out. James quotes from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. God's plan has always been to bring humanity into the fold. So 
This is an important thing. He's going back to Amos. He's going back to one of the minor prophets and saying, listen, it goes back at least this far. I can take it all the way back into Genesis where he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of how many nations? Many nations. Right? So we've been part of the plan since the beginning, and I'm so thankful for that. But I love this part here. It says, let's don't make it difficult for them. Now, that Greek word there is really hard to pronounce, and I was so thankful that whenever I was preparing this sermon, because I had surgery in between, but anyway, when I did this, um, Shannon actually helped me pronounce this word. So we're going to do it together. You ready? Is Shannon in here? Yeah, she's in here. There she is. Shannon, help me pronounce this word. You pronounce it pronouncing. <laughs> so everybody, let's do it together. It's yeah, there you go. That's exactly what it is. And what does that mean? It means to trouble, to harass, to annoy, to cause disturbance. Jesus is saying, you know, in this passage of Scripture, through James, that listen, not only are we going to have to bring down our tribal barriers, but we're going to make it as easy as possible for people to get to Jesus. And that, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, was a very new idea. Because remember, there was a time where the Pharisees, Sadducees, the priests, the rabbis were all saying one thing, and Jesus actually said to them, you are actually putting barriers up to keep people from Jesus, to keep people from God, because nobody can fulfill the law and all the extra 600 some odd commands, right? So the Christianity's taken actually a step over and saying, look, everybody gets in. How can we make it as easy as possible for people to encounter Jesus? And that's what I love about our church. We exist. Why? To help connect people to the life and love of Jesus, right? Not hinder them, but help them connect to Jesus. Let's look at the next one. Peter picks this up, and he's writing to the dysphoria. Now, what the dysphoria is, is that the Jews have been scattered, and the church has been scattered. We know that churches are rising up everywhere. One of the interesting things, I was reading this, um, oh, man, it was probably... A few years ago, I was doing a sermon series in, a, in Ephesians, and I was reading this commentary that said something huge, that, you know, Ephesus was probably 500,000 people, if not larger. Like, it would be like the New York City of, like, the world. Like, it was just massively huge. And they were saying that the churches that were in Ephesus probably didn't even know that each other existed. And so Peter is actually writing to all of these churches. He's writing them, giving them instructions for how we are to live, how to drop the, the labels, how to drop the barriers of tribalism and help make it um, more multidimensional, more multi-ethnic, multi-social economic standard, like they're doing something brand new. Do you know that the first time in recorded history, I'm talking world history, where another community gave to another community in need was on one of Paul's missionaries' journeys. That's the first time that we've seen that happen. People are like, what? Really? You're, you're sending us money? Like, 
we're all under Rome. How can you afford this? Like, so they were doing what they could to drop these barriers. And so Peter comes up and says some beautiful, thing, some beautiful things here. So he says in verse 9, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal what? Priest. He's talking to us. Not just me, but you. You're priests and priestesses. And these little kids running around, they're like junior mint size. <laughs> priests and princesses, right? A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, so because of that, you can show others the what? Goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no what? Identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and will give honor to God when he judges the world. So there's a few things here I want us to see from Peter. So when Peter's writing here, it's important for us to realize he's not writing to the singular you. He's writing to the collective you. Everybody. And that's really, really important for us to keep in our mind. So he's writing, and we're reading his writings today as new life. It's the you. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. Peter says here that this is all of us. And now alien and strangers, sometimes in Scripture, <laughs> these might become, you know, metaphorical terms, but not the way that Peter actually pictured it. Why? Because people were living in Roman culture, and if you weren't a Roman citizen, you didn't have any what? Rights. None at all, and you had no citizenship. You're kind of lost. Who are you? Kind of reminds you of an Old Testament story where the Israelites are enslaved for 400 years. What is their identity? They're slaves. And the slave's sole purpose is to do what the horrible masters tell them to do. This was happening in Roman culture. People that weren't citizens, man, you were second, third, fourth, and fifth class. And so when he's talking to them, he's saying, listen, I know that you're aliens and you're strangers, that you don't fit. But here's the cool story. The God of the cosmos, who created everything, including you, has now wrapped his arms around you and brought you all together. And now you guys are my priest. You're a holy nation. And what are you supposed to do? Go shine the goodness of God. Amen? But see, tribalism, if we're not careful, will keep us from that. It will keep us from actually being on mission with Jesus. It will stop new life in its tracks if we don't learn to drop the tribalism. You know, most of the major conflicts happening in the world right now is over imaginary lines that are drawn. Do we realize that? 
I mean, right now, listen, you know, what's happening at the border, I mean, at the, uh, the border of Israel and, and Gaza is horrible. Nobody's right there. There's not a right there. Both sides killing women and children and denying aid is not good. Amen? It's not good. That's not the way of Jesus. But we're the same way on our side. Man, the southern border. Wow, the rhetoric over that is horrible. Is it not? It's horrible. We don't want those people in here. And I'm thinking, bring them on. That keeps us from sending to having to send people out. God's bringing the people to us to show us the goodness of God. Amen? It's a beautiful picture. And you say, well, Shane, it has to be done legally. I'm just saying it's an imaginary line. And that imaginary line has caused a lot of pain and heartache. And for what? Is it going to matter in the end? No, not at all. Now, do I think we need to be a nation of laws? Absolutely. Even though I'm an eight, I'm a challenger, and I like breaking rules. Yes, I do. Somebody back there just about had a heart attack. Uh, But anyway, so it's really important for us to see here that what Peter was trying to do is the same thing he's trying to do for us. He's trying to tear all of it down. Why? So that we can do what James said. Don't make it difficult for people to get to Jesus. Don't make it difficult. Help them get to Jesus. Because when they get to Jesus, they become our brothers and sisters. They become priests. They become a holy nation. Are you following me? Are you with me? So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's look at this next passage of Scripture. Now, this is Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians. And we know the Corinthian church was just a blessing of trouble. How many of you have ever read Corinthians? You know that they had a lot of issues, right? A lot of issues. And so Paul is writing a second letter to them. And, and he's really, in, in a lot of ways, if I can say this, he's kind of pulled down the veil a little bit to his own internal workings. And he's now showing this deeper work that's going on inside of him because of what Jesus has done. Let's look at it. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ as merely from a human point of view because you got to remember Paul, who used to be Saul, used to make his living traveling around killing everybody and putting in jail everybody that were Christians. And now he's a Christian, right? And so he thought Jesus was just an ordinary human being, but then he has this Damascus Road experience where we realize that Jesus is the God of the cosmos. He's the creator of everything that there is. That he is the one God. And so he says here, You know, my view of Jesus has changed. My view of people have changed. And he says here, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. And so one of the things that we see in a tribalistic culture is we like to identify ourselves by terms. Don't we? Latino community, white community, black community. Are are you following me? But what God is saying is, no, 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 no. We're new. What defines us now is the complete work of Jesus in our lives. Amen? The complete work of Jesus, that is what defines us. 
And so this is really important. He says here, look at how we know him now. This means that anyone belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. All that old tribalism is gone, and a new life has begun. And all of this is a what? It's a gift. It's a gift. It is a true gift from God. This is really important. And churches, man, we just really messed it up. You know, in, in Nashville, you know, if you go around and you talk to people, one of the things that in Nashville is, is really big is they really like to describe themselves this way too. You can go, okay, well, wow, so you're a Christian. And they go, oh, yeah, I've been a Baptist all my life. Well, that wasn't the question I asked <laughs> because that's the world that I came out of. <laughs> I'm asking if you're a Jesus follower, right? Or they may say I'm a Methodist or this or that. And denominations have risen up in church. I am so glad that we're non-denominational. The only boss we have is Jesus, amen? And I am so thankful for that. But we even see it creeping us up in us that we're not able to let go of old things and press into new things. And we tend to make things hard when God is telling us to make things easy. We need to drop the violence of tribalism. So the old life is gone and new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ. Now, this is really, really important. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Next slide. The key part here of this passage of scripture is right here. We do not look at people anymore through our biased human perspectives, but as God does. My goal as a pastor Number one is to see myself the way that God sees me. And I know that that sounds easy, but it's not. Do you see yourself all the time the way God sees you? No, it's difficult. It's difficult. But my responsibility, my, this gift that God has given me of reconciling people, etc., I get to look at you and I look at you through the Jesus lens, which is potential awesomeness, giftings, etc. When we leave here new life and we go out into our different places and spaces and we're to be these conveyors of the goodness of God, we're actually our mission in life is to reconcile people back to Jesus. When we do that, man, if we look at people through the eyes of tribalism, it will never happen because we're focusing on what divides us instead of what could possibly bring us together. And the great unifier of all people is Jesus. Amen? So we really, really have to take this passage of Scripture seriously. We've been given a task, and the thing that hinders that task, the number one thing that hinders this reconciliation is tribalism. And if we need a reminder, we can look at our culture and recognize how tribalism is absolutely destroying nations. Is it not? That's the beauty and the hope of the church is that we don't do it. We demonstrate the all-inclusiveness of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So let's look at this next slide. So the question here is how 
can we be agents of reconciliation and restoration if we are embedded in tribalism? The answer is we can't. But Jesus does have an answer. Let's look at his. Luke 6, 27 through 33. This is probably one of the more extreme passages, I think, in the New Testament. And it says this, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your... How can you do that if you're practicing tribalism? It's difficult. Love your enemies. Do good to those who... Now he's meddling. That's getting a little tough. Bless those that what? You want me to pray for those who what? Hurt you. And if someone slaps you on the cheek, I'm church, I'm with this one I'm having a hard time with. If someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. Ooh, that's not how wood leaves were raised, but I'm trying. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Next slide. Give to anyone who asks. When things are taken away, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Tribes love each other. It's when we're in our tribe and we're loving another tribe that we start to look weird right? So it says here, what credit do you get for that? Even sinners do this. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. My brothers and my sisters, the answer is for us, the cure for tribalism is love. And we have a pattern in the person of Jesus who demonstrates what that looks like. How many of you have watched The Chosen? Yeah, do y'all like that? Yeah, all right. Well, I just started, just started the journey because I, I kind of grew up in that era of the Technicolor Jesus who was white and about this tall, right? Did y'all see any of those? If you didn't, just thank God that you were spared. But I'm, I'm watching The Chosen, so I've been a little reluctant and I've been pleasantly surprised. And there's this one beautiful scene. It's, it's one of my favorite characters in all the scriptures, Mary Magdalene. And there's this beautiful picture where she's leaving this bar at night. And she's broken. She's hurting. She's desperate. She wanted to commit suicide. She's, she's just, she's terrified of what's going to happen in the person she's becoming. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps out and goes, Mary, Mary, you belong to me. And he heals her and he restores. But here's a beautiful picture, not from afar, but he grabs her face, which made him unclean in Jewish law grabs her face and pulls her in and she just sobs. And he loves her right there. The outcast of society. Jesus, he himself dropped all of his tribalism. If anyone had the right to be elite, it was him, amen? 
And we see this beautiful picture of him reconciling someone to himself. My brothers and my sisters, that's our job. That's how we're supposed to be. Not viewing people through our tribal lenses, but viewing people through our Jesus lens. And so as you go this week, I'm going to be praying that your light of love will be so bright that people will be naturally drawn to you and you can drop the barriers and naturally point the way to Jesus. And you can see some cool Jesus stories. Won't that be pretty awesome? Amen. So I'm going to pray for us as we do that. So Father, I pray that as we go into our various places and spaces this week, I pray as we go to our schools, jobs, or we're at home in the neighborhood, wherever it may be, Father, I pray that this week as we bump shoulders with people, that, Father, we wouldn't look at them through our lens, that we wouldn't look at them through our tribal lenses, but that we would remember God is calling a group of people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and we're part of that. And I pray, Father, that we would see them the way you do, and we would love them the way that you do. Father, I pray that, as James has said, that we would make it easy for them to get into the kingdom. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.